Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, listeners. This is Anusha Battersby of the Magnus Protocol, letting you know about the latest Rusty Quill original podcast on Neon Inkwell, The Pit Below Paradise. The Pit Below Paradise is a US coming-of-age tale set years in the future, in the ruins of a burnt world. Small communities struggle in the ashes, and in Paradise Village, Dorian is set to sacrifice himself for the hope of a better tomorrow. At least, that's what he thought. But when the date of prophecy is pulled into question, Dorian's whole world is turned on its side. Forced to attend college to keep up appearances, Dorian meets Will, a former gravedigger with no reason to suspect his vibrant new roommate might soon be facing death, and Ruth, a returned runaway trying to make peace with the past. As Dory only just starts to learn about herself, she is forced to choose whether she still believes everything she was told growing up, or whether she wants to place her trust in a wider, more daunting world that she's only just come to know. The Pit Below Paradise is available now on Neon Inkwell, our ongoing home for full cast fiction podcasts, written by creators from all around the world. Just search Neon Inkwell wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everyone, Ben here. I'd just like to take a moment to thank some of our patrons. I'm alive now. Matthew Fisher, Emily T, Arca Von Ellis, Robertson Whitney, Hecate Kennedy, Abe Kenmore, Keir C, Matthew Entercott, Hal Moncrief. Thank you all. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to join them, go to www.patreon.com forward slash rustyquill and take a look at our rewards. Rusty Quill presents The Magnus Archives Episode 104, Sneak Preview Statement of Eduardo Acosta regarding the night of October 9th. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Christ, Tim. Oh, I... <sighs> oh. 
Oh, God, it's all right. It's just a shock. I didn't realise you were... I've been moving boxes in here for a while. You... Have you? Yeah. Everything all right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I, I kind of zone out a bit when I have to read a statement. Right. We'll see ya. Oh, no, Tim. Uh, Tim. Hmm? Uh, while I've got you, there's a book I was after for... Um, it was uh, uh, The Marvellous Spiritualism and the Circus in the 19th Century. I asked up in the library, but Tom said you had it checked out. Yeah. Why? Oh, you know, just looking into anything and everything that might pin down the unknowing. The what? The, the unknowing? Well, am I supposed to know what that is, or, you or what? Oh, um, <laughs> I just thought someone would have told you by now. Well, they haven't. What are you talking about? I mean, I'm not sure. Martin, what is the unknowing, and what does it have to do with the circus? It's, it's uh, a ritual. I don't know that it's, it's bad. Like, like really bad, like maybe end of the world bad, and the circus is doing it, the, the, the Russian ones, the uh, circus of the other. <laughs> no, 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 we haven't. There hasn't been a circus statement since Leanne Denikin's last year, and that was a dead end. There's... someone would have told me. Tim, you've someone been out of it for a while. should have told me. Why? Tim, are you all right? Turn it off. What? Turn it off! Please, Tim. No. He needs to hear I it. I don't care. He can't help if he doesn't know. I don't want his help, Martin. Elias seems to think that he's the best chance that we have to stop them. And what? I'm supposed to just trust Elias now? Please. I'll tell him in person when he gets back from wherever it is that he's vanished to. China. And if you try to tell him in person, you'll just end up at each other's throats. You know you will. Statement of Timothy Stoker. On the disappearance of my brother Danny four years ago. June 14th, 2017. Thank you. Statement begins. My little brother Danny. He was always better than me. He was a couple of years younger, but by the time he hit 21, he was already taller, fitter, better looking. I mean, he didn't have my winning sense of humour, but he didn't need it. Charisma, it wasn't a problem for him. I think a lot of people in my situation would have been jealous, but not me. I was just proud of him. I was always doing some some charity race or endurance course, getting modelling gigs while I worked quietly away in publishing. It made me smile. I remember he actually got a job doing some publicity shots for the company that owned my local gym. It was a good five months where... Whenever I walked down to my offices, there he'd be, twice as large as life, smiling down from a poster and challenging me to take them up on their joining fee, or lack thereof. I never did, but it always 
brought a smile to my face when I saw it. We didn't really talk much, me and Danny. We were still pretty close. He'd usually keep me updated on whatever his latest obsession was. He tend to throw himself into a thing completely for about six months and well, then he'd get bored and something new would catch his eye. Like, um, back in 2013, it was urban exploration. He'd come down to London, stay with me for a couple of days, and we'd end up having drinks with uh, Abigail Ellison, who's a mutual friend of ours from back home. Abby had been doing the urban exploration thing on and off for a few years, and was telling us a few of her close calls in some of the sites down near the old Docklands. As she talked, I was just watching Danny's eyes light up, and I knew exactly what was happening. His passion for sailing was starting to wane after almost a year, and I was sure I was watching him discover his next project. When Abby mentioned she had a trip lined up for the old Millennium Mills in Newham, well, it was pretty much a done deal. At the time, I quite liked the idea. It wasn't the weirdest thing to ever catch Danny's attention. Not by a long shot. And secretly, I thought he and Abigail would maybe make kind of a cute couple. So I was quite encouraging. Not that he needed it. It's weird, isn't it? The things that can change your life. You can plan for all the devastating, terrible possibilities you can imagine. And it will always be those tiny, unexpected things that get you. You know, the things that you never even noticed as they were happening, just just nudging everything into motion. But even if there was a way I could have known, I really don't think I'd be able to have stopped him. So, for the next few months, that was it. My cool little brother was an urban explorer. It suited him. I got used to my phone buzzing at my office desk as he filled it with pictures of his smiling face in front of some rusted machine or hidden tunnel. He never did get together with Abby, but I'd only took a couple of trips with her and he'd learned what he needed. He talked a few of his friends into it, like always, started going on trips further afield. I thought he'd be down in London more than he was, but it turns out there are even more interesting abandoned places up north. They tend to be less guarded than they are down here, so that was where he spent most of his time. There was one thing that did draw him down to London, though. What he referred to as ghost buildings. There might have been some official name in the urban exploration community, I don't know. He stopped using the jargon around me after I joked that urbex sounded like a brand of drain cleaner. What he was talking about was the places where newer buildings had been constructed in or... I don't know, over the remains of an earlier one, but development had left some of the old pieces intact. Sometimes it was just a wall or two, made out of a different material, but occasionally there'd be an entire hidden basement or bricked-up room. I don't know why, but Danny loved them. He talked for hours about crumbling pieces of history desperately clinging on to existence, but... To be honest, I never really got it. I guess I didn't have to. Anyway, according to him, London had more of these ghost buildings than anywhere else in the country. 
He'd been exploring for a few months when he first mentioned Covent Garden Theatre. It had been destroyed by fire twice since it was first built in 1732, and well, he was convinced that the current building stood on top of floors and floors of hidden and abandoned ruins. The discarded cocoons of its previous life, as he once put it. He showed me maps and measurements, a few photo sets from others who'd apparently been there before. I never asked him to, but well, when he was excited he just wanted everyone else to share it. That was... that was Danny. He was just... like that. While he was talking about the second Theatre Royal in Covent Garden, uh, the one that lasted less than 50 years before it burnt down, that was when I first heard the name Robert Smirk. All through this, I was trying to talk him out of going, because, well, what had once been the Covent Garden Theatre is nowadays known as the Royal Opera House, which is about as far from an abandoned building as you can get, and I really didn't think that trespassing there would be a good idea. But Danny didn't want to hear it. He wasn't going into the main building, he told me, and had figured out a route he claimed would lead him into the abandoned levels below without crossing anywhere that might actually attract security. And he was going alone. So he didn't need to worry about attracting too much attention. I told him it was a bad idea, but I'd never been able to stand in the way of his confidence. So late on Wednesday night in August 2013, my little brother went to break into the ruins hidden under the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden. <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous to say it out loud, but there it is. I don't know how long he was gone. I went to bed around one in the morning and he hadn't gotten back. It was a hot night and I woke up a few hours later needing a glass of water. There were the first hints of dawn filtering in through my living room windows, giving it this quiet, otherworldly feeling. Danny was sat in my big armchair, completely still. I smiled, feeling suddenly a little bit unsettled and trying my best to hide it. And I'd asked how it had been, but he didn't answer. I asked him if he'd found anything, and he nodded slowly. I saw as he tilted his head that his cheeks were just wet with tears. He mumbled something then, very quietly. I couldn't really make it out, but it sounded like the name Joey. It was all kind of surreal, strange, and I started to think I might be dreaming, but I'd never seen him cry before. I tried to talk to him, find out what was wrong, but he just kept shaking his head. We sat there in silence for a long time. I didn't know what to do. The whole situation was so alien. I thought maybe I could try and get him some rest, let him collect himself, so after some coaxing I got him onto the couch. As he laid down, I heard him say something else. I thought it sounded like the show must go on, and at that moment, you know, I actually thought that was a good sign. I watched for a few more minutes until he was asleep and then I went back to bed, though it was a while before I fell back to sleep. That night was the last time I ever saw Danny. When I woke up a few hours later, he was gone. He left no note, no hint of where he may have gone, and the only thing that showed he'd been back at all were a small pile of sketches he'd drawn on some scrap paper from my printer. On each there was a clown, the same clown. 
a shock of dark hair, vertical on the top of his head, porcelain white face, bright red lips painted in a wide, pointed smile, and a crimson diamond running down each cheek from just below his eyes. The lips may have been smiling, but the mouth my brother had drawn was dark, an empty circle that made me feel cold. I should have called the police. Well, maybe not now I've met some of the ones who've dealt with these cases, but I shouldn't have followed him. I shouldn't have checked the notes Danny left about where to get in and what to watch out for en route. There was never really any hope for me though, was there? This was how it was always going to go. Danny's notes were very comprehensive. Finding the entrance to the old, disused part under the Royal Opera House wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought it might be. He hadn't reattached the chain he'd broken to get in, and he didn't look like anyone had noticed to replace it. The entrance stood open, and even though it was the middle of the day, it became almost completely dark as soon as it crossed the threshold. I think he must have done some work on the hinges too, because even though I could see the rust eating through them, the door opened in complete silence. I stepped inside. Back then, I didn't know enough about Robert Smirk's architecture to recognize his work. I just thought it was a really well-preserved sublevel. The corridors were wide and solid, and my torch showed columns that were that regular geometry that I've come to recognize. Compared to the summer heat outside, the air was cold. I found myself shivering in just my t-shirt and shorts. The whole place looked spotless, a lot cleaner than any pictures I've ever seen of urban exploration or abandoned sites. I couldn't really see why the Royal Opera House above wouldn't use this space, why they just let it sit here untouched and hidden behind a locked and unmarked steel door just off of James Street. I was still wondering about this when I walked into the auditorium. At the time, I wasn't exactly sure what I was looking at, but I've now seen pictures of the Second Theatre Royal in Covent Garden, the one designed by Smirk. I can say it was identical. A perfect recreation of the old stage and tiered seats, the decorations and the boxes. There are only two differences, that it was almost 20 feet below the ground where the original stage was, and that everything from the floor, to the seats, to the blank and faceless audience, was entirely hewn out of crude stone. There was no light except for the headlamp I had taken from my brother's pack, and it swept over a full house, four levels of unmoving stone watches, two thumb-sized indentations focused towards the stage. There was nothing that indicated they were any newer than the rest of the place. I walked down the steps to the edge of the top level where I'd entered and I looked down towards the stage. My lamp barely illuminated the single figure that stood on it. It was Danny. At least I, I think it was. It looked like him. Same hair, same clothes. There's something not right about how he looked. Like he was smaller somehow, slightly folded in on himself. It didn't matter. I shouted down to him to let him know I was there. He didn't look up, but when my voice echoed around the stone theatre, I knew I'd made a horrible mistake. 
from somewhere above me a spotlight suddenly turned on, shining down onto the stage, painfully bright against the white stone. The air became uncomfortably hot, and there was some sort of music. The spotlight wasn't on Danny. Instead, it picked out a figure crouched in the corner. All ruffles, and polka dots, and tights. A clown. It crouched and contorted in the corner, hands backwards over its face. But not so much that I couldn't see the dark red patterns that seemed to flow down its eyes. I couldn't move. Slowly, so slowly, its right arm reached out towards Danny. It placed its hand on the floor with a long, low groan, then pulled itself along the floor the fabric of its colourful dress scraping the rough stone of the stage and its cheek rubbing against the ground leaving a trail of red behind it. Then it was still for a second before a leg reached out in front and it began to drag the rest of the clown behind it. I always tell myself there was some force there. Something that held me in place and meant that all I could do was watch. But sometimes when I think back, I remember how my legs shook and maybe I could move. Maybe I'm just a coward. The clown reached my brother, who still hadn't moved an inch and unfurled to its full height. The red on the cheeks was now clearly blood, and something black oozed down from its shock of hair. It took Danny by the hand and looked up, right at me, smiling like nothing has ever smiled since. Shall I? he asked, with a voice so full of playful mischief that I felt bile rise in my throat. I wanted to shake my head say no, but I never got a chance. With a single, smooth motion, like whipping the tablecloth off in a restaurant, he pulled the skin off of whatever had been pretending it was my brother. I don't know how to describe it. It was like an impressionist painting of a dancer, all colours and shapes that made you feel movement you couldn't see, silently, imperceptibly moving from one position to another. The music had stopped, and the dance was silent, and it was beautiful. The next thing I remember was the cool night air on my face as the Opera House patrons pushed past me to get into the evening performance of Tosca. In my hands I held an old black and white circus flyer. It was written all over in Cyrillic, but in the bottom left corner was a certain clown's face, leering out at me, billed as the guest performer. As I watched, it crumbled to ash and floated away on the breeze. And that was the last time you ever saw your brother? You never went back? To the auditorium, no. 
If I had, I'd... I don't think they'd let me leave a second time. That's why you joined the Institute, isn't it? I thought I might be able to find something about what happened, but... I guess at some point I stopped seriously looking and started to just get comfortable. Until John... Until the archives. Yeah. Tim, the, the clown that you described yeah, is... I know. It didn't take too much looking around to match the description of Victorian London's most famous clown, Joseph Cromaldi. Covent Garden Theatre regular. I mean, 200 years is a long time, but... Yeah. It's him, though. Or it looks like him, or his ghost, or something. I don't know why, but I think he's with the Russian circus. Yeah. You reckon they're trying to what? End the world? I mean, maybe it's not... Yeah. I think so. And no one told me. You were never here to tell, well, Tim. I am now. I don't care about the rest of it. If anyone's going to find that circus, I'm coming to. You're not going to stop me. I mean, sh sure, sure. I think that's actually a good idea. Knock, knock. <sighs> Great. Oh. Martin, would you give us a moment? I... Uh, please. Uh... Right, um... Sorry, Tim. You were watching, then? Most of it. Surprised you didn't know it already. That's your thing, isn't it? I knew there was some trauma that drew you to us, but I can't say I ever thought to look much deeper. An oversight, perhaps? But I'm looking now. Alright. Hit me with your x-ray eyes, then, boss. What do you see? Disruption. An unpredictable, angry man with nothing left but the desire to feel in some way revenged. Oh, terrifying. Surely only magic could have let you see so deep inside my very soul. Tim, I'm only going to tell you this once. Please stay away from the unknowing, the circus, all of it. I don't believe you can help, and I don't know what will happen if you get involved. Oh, sure. I'll just forget about it. Go back to sulking in a corner. Tim, don't worry about me, boss. I'll just stop. It's what I'm best at, right? Don't want to get in the way of your evil plans, do I? I mean it, Tim. Oh, oh, you mean it? Oh, well, that's different. Okay, well, let me tell you what. If you want me to ignore everything that's going on, forget my brother and everything that's happened over the last two years, how about you kill me? I don't want it to come to that. Well, me either. But here we are. So my proposal for you is this. Either kill me, or fuck off. I'll come back when you're feeling more reasonable. And I guess I'll see you in hell. That'll piss off. The Magnus Archives is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode was written by Jonathan Sims and directed by Alexander J. Newell. To subscribe, view associated material, or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online, tweet us at the Rusty Quill. Visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at rustyquill.com.
Join our communities on the forum via the website or on Reddit at r slash the Magnus Archives. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later.